Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Uh, welcome to the Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial. Uh, thanks to the Ruminations crew for another great show highlighting issues around homelessness. My name's Bill, and for the next hour, I'll be talking to my guest about his journey of recovery from compulsive gambling. I'd like to welcome Tim to the 3CR studio this afternoon. Hi, Tim. Hi, Bill. Thanks for having me. Um, Tim's a member of Gamblers Anonymous, and he was, he's going to share his experience of compulsive gambling and how Gamblers Anonymous has helped. Uh, now, Tim, we usually start just talking about um, family life and, and your first, I guess, exposure to gambling and, and how you got attracted. So... What was the thing that triggered you? Yeah, I think um, one of the things that might have triggered me was um, both my parents gambled, but my father in particular, he gambled. Um, and I used to play footy out the front street and um, he used to go to the milk bar to get the paper, but the milk bar was only a two-minute uh, walk up the road and he would uh, sometimes take an hour and I would question him on why he'd been so long and he would say that he was talking to the neighbours up the road and all that sort of stuff. So inquisitive little Tim got on his bike one day and followed him and he, he didn't know I was following him and uh, he, he got the paper and then walked another four or 500 metres to a TAB and I uh, I walked in and said, oh, so this is where you come, Dad. And um, I said, you better put a bet on for me, I'll tell Mum where you've been. And that started a pretty uh, unattractive relationship with my father and we... Uh, we gambled for probably 20 years together. Right. So what were you gambling on mainly? Uh, mainly on um, anything that ran horses, trots and dogs. And um, um, Dad was mainly a weekend, sometimes during the week punter, but um, for me it became every single day. Yeah. So my dad gambled a fair bit too. My dad drank as well. Um, but he, he used to study the form a lot. Was your dad into studying the form? Uh, he did used to get the paper and look at the form and all that sort of stuff, so he was a bit of a, a studier. Um, and not that it did him much good, but uh, I, I mean, I used to do exactly the same thing and it didn't do me any good because I was compulsive. Yeah, okay. <laughs> we'll get to that. Um, so how did it affect your relationship with your mum then? Yeah, it's interesting. I think my mum was a very angry lady and... Uh, I think she was angry for a number of reasons. One, that she had to put up with not only one person like my father that was unreliable and a liar, but she then had to put up with her little son that was also a bit of a a liar as well. And, um, yeah, I think also mum used to have a bit of money taken from her purse. Um, And if it wasn't me, it was my dad. And if it wasn't dad, it was me. So... Uh, mum never used to know where to point the finger and uh, I knew it wasn't me sometimes so I knew it was dad and vice versa I guess. Yeah, <laughs> not a good situation. I, I guess um, growing up you know, in that situation where you're deceiving your mum, lying becomes second nature. Oh, absolutely. Um, when I was in compulsive gambling mode, lying was uh, an everyday occurrence and um, it became very much a habit and became I became very good at it, um, but at the same time very ashamed of what I what I did back then, um, or, you know, back quite a few years ago. 
And, um, yeah, it just becomes second nature. So it's, it becomes pretty easy to lie because you get good practice at it. Yeah, right. Um, so did your mum have to compensate for your dad's gambling? Yeah, mum Mum sometimes had three, two to three jobs and she used to still put dinner on the table but then she'd go to another job. And um, So there was obviously a lot of money getting lost that, I mean, as a kid I didn't know about. Um, and my brother was at boarding school um, so he, he didn't see any of it. My sisters were at um, um, school and they really didn't see that much of it. And my younger sister, because I'm one of five, um, she probably saw exactly what I saw and we, we often speak about it now, how how it must have been such a struggle for um, my parents to get through. But they got through and I think it's because my mum worked her butt off. Yeah, I think um, women in those situations do everything they can for the family and just put up with the the gambler or the drinker in real terms. Yeah, yeah. and mum did that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so did you said you gambled with your dad for another 20 years. So you, you obviously started gambling on your own while your dad was still alive? As soon as I could uh, pass at the TAB... Um, and I was quite tall, but as soon as I could pass at the TAB, and they didn't really ask for identification back then, I, I was gambling at 16 at TABs because no one asked me for ID or anything like that, and I was uh, working a part-time job, and then I worked a full-time job, and then every 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 cent basically went, went to gambling, and I never had any money, and I was always borrowing money off mum or borrowing money off dad or... Um, yeah, so it was a vicious circle at a very young age. Yeah. So how did that make you feel? Not not having having money, then not having money. What's what's the feeling like? Um, I guess for many years I got used to it, and um, I, I guess that I just it was, it, it's a funny thing. Like I, when I had the part time job, I wasn't getting a lot of money, so it was just going. It was just going down the drain, basically. But uh, when I got a full-time job and it was all going down the drain and I was living pay one one week to another, um, it didn't feel good. And uh, I would always question, why did I gamble that day or why did I gamble that night? And um, it still didn't stop me because I was actually – I think I was more hooked. The, the, the more I got more money or the more I even grew into gambling, the, the worse I got. Okay. Um so you got a, a real full-time job. So what was that? I had an apprentice draftsman's job at 17. Um, or was 16 a bit, I was, and I left school at year 10. And um, I had that job for about six months. And I came home one day to my mum and I said, I'm not enjoying my job. I, I don't want to do it anymore. I want to look for another job. And my mum at the time was pretty angry and Next day, she grabbed me by the ear and uh, she took me down to the Dandenong Recruitment Agency and um, said, you're joining the Army, and I joined the Army. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, as you do, It's yeah. probably one of the best things mum did for me, but um, yeah. I, I stayed in that job for 32 years, but uh, unfortunately, in that job, I, um, I didn't stop gambling. And why didn't you stop gambling? I guess I was still compulsive and still not really... Um, taking my addiction seriously. Um, I had some really good absence due to the fantastic GA fellowship, but um, once you step out of that fellowship and think that you've got it beaten, 
uh, you're kidding yourself. Um, and I knew I had to get myself back to the fellowship because that's where it all helps you and people help you within the fellowship and that 12th step um, of recovery. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so I guess the main thing was you had a supply of money which allowed you to gamble, but did um, it, it must be odd not having any spare money as a, as a young adult. Yeah, it was, uh, uh, it was very frustrating, but I was very good at getting money um, and I was very good at going to mum's purse um, and I was also very good at borrowing off people. Yeah. Um, you lend me this and I'll give you it back next pay or I'll double it or whatever. And that's the sort of way I went for years. I'd, I'd ask for a, a, a loan off someone and I said, well, if you lend me it, I'll give you double next pay. And that was the desperation of wanting to gamble. Yeah. So could you pay them back? I um, actually always paid my debts back, which wow. I guess that's why people weren't scared to lend me money because I always paid my debts back. But little did I realise I was just uh, going around in circles with – there was no savings. No. There was no savings and um, there was no savings for a number of years. So, And not a lot of enjoyment, I guess, either, if, if you kept on losing – no, I think when losing probably inflates the ego, I think, because I always used to think I was a good gambler. So when I lost, I would be challenged to get back there and make sure I could win it back. And uh, the thing I realise now, it doesn't matter whether you win or lose, um, especially it doesn't matter if you win because all that is is more ammunition to throw down the toilet, basically. And that's how I look at my gambling. I threw a lot of money down the toilet and... Um, could have done a lot more great things and could have gone away on holidays, which I now do, which is great. But yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Okay. So what? how did your life change? I mean, so it's very um, isolating, gambling. So did you must have had relationships. Yeah, my first four years um, when I joined the Army at 17 to 21, I didn't have any relationships. I had a relationship solely around gambling. Um, I had some friends in in um, in the army, but uh, none of them gambled. So I isolated myself and gambled by myself, and gambled very heavily, and never save uh, didn't save a cent over those four years. Um, and then I left. I was posted to Sydney with the army, and I left Sydney on a on a I guess the opportunity of a lifetime. I got a, a letter from. Um, the Melbourne Footy Club asking me to come and train with them and I was pretty excited about that because I'd grown up as a, a Melbourne supporter. Yep. And so I came down to Melbourne and um, very, very excited about the opportunity and unfortunately um, gambling hadn't left me. So I missed quite a bit of training because I was at a TAB or something and I guess when you're trying to make it in uh, any sort of sport or any big-time sport that if you miss training and that, they don't look at it favourably so uh, I got cut uh, I was only with them for three months and I got cut after three months and um, I'll never know if I could have made it because um, I really didn't get the opportunity that you know to really show my my football talent yeah right so did that mean you, have, you went back to Sydney no no I um no I stayed in Melbourne for uh, another four years um, I guess given the opportunity I was able to um, earn a, a fair bit of money from football at a local level 
Um, but that really just meant for me more money to gamble with because it was uh, extra cash. I was getting sign-on fees, which my 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 first wife that I married in 87 didn't even know about. Um, and I spent that pretty quickly. It was a large amount of money. Um, and I guess, you know, that that went on for years where I was getting paid for footy, but basically just throwing it throwing at the TAB. Yeah. Okay. Um, so did you try and stop? Was that a was that a daily thing like I should stop or not? No. Um I often would say to myself and I, I know there's many gamblers, compulsive gamblers out there that would know this story, that you would often say to yourself, Enough's enough, that's I'm just so stupid for doing that and I'll never do it again and the next day or two days later I'll be out doing the same thing. So um I, I couldn't stop because I wasn't getting the help I needed. And um, in 1986, my parents uh, introduced me to to GA at Box Hill. And um, I remember my first meeting very clearly. And I went in there and there was a lot of people. I think there would have been 30 to 40 people. And they were all telling me the story about how they lost houses and lost cars and all that sort of stuff. And I walked out of that meeting saying... Well, I haven't lost anything like that, so I don't have a problem. And I never went back until um, until 10 years later. Right, okay. Um, so I, I suppose it took a bit of a toll on your marriage. Oh, absolutely. I, I, like, I, like I said, I, I married my wife in 1987. I was married for 20 years. Um, we obviously went through a lot of stuff together obviously there was a lot of lies in that marriage a lot of deceit um there was also two children um anthony was born in 89 and my daughter was born in 91 and i guess my gambling affected them in a big way um as well as my ex-wife who who years after you know suffered from a lot of depression and anxiety and all that sort of stuff, probably all due to her feeling very low about herself because she always used to say to me, you can't stop for me. Um, you, you won't stop for me. So she used to think that I didn't love her because I couldn't stop and it wasn't really about her. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I, I often use the analogy that um, the alcoholic is obsessed with the alcohol and only looks towards the alcohol and the family always looks towards the alcoholic. So the alcoholic never sees the family and it's like that for a lot of compulsions and people obsessed with things like gambling, that you don't see the people around you because they're just in the way. Yeah, yeah they're in the way and um, and sometimes they're invisible because um, you've got your mind in other areas and, uh, you know, I miss things like school concerts and stuff like that all because I was at a TAB or, or I lied to my wife and told I was working when I was really in a TAB. Um, so there was a, there was so many. I think the lies is is the big thing. It's it's not so much the gambling; it's the lies. Because if I'd said to my wife, oh, "I'm just going to the TAB to have a bet," um, instead of I made up an excuse that I was somewhere else and I was really actually losing money. Yep. Um, I think yeah, the lies and the deceit is is probably one of the hardest things for the for the partner to put up with. Yep, I agree. Um, so you separated. From that first wife, 
Yeah, 20 years she put up with me. I'm not sure how because um, I put her through a lot of stuff. And um, 1997, I think we just, we signed divorce papers and um, very amicable. We, we still, we're still in touch and uh, we're good friends. Um, and she knows that, you know, I've hurt her a lot and all that sort of stuff. And I've apologised a number of times, but uh, I've also apologised to a lot of people that I've hurt through my journey. Um, because that's one of the steps that you, you need to do. You've got to make amends to the people that you've hurt. Yeah. And it's very important, isn't it? Oh, it is. It is for your own, um, your own self-wealth and, um, and for the people as well, because the people then have to understand that you really actually mean it and uh, that it's not just words, it's, it's, it's actually... And also it's actions, because my partner now, my new partner, she, she sees the actions of what I do with GA and the fellowship now. Yeah, okay. You're listening to Living Free show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz in your AM dial, and 3CR on digital radio. Podcasts of the show uh, are available on 3cr.org.au forward slash livingfree, and they're also available on iTunes. Um, other 3CR podcasts are available on 3cr.org.au forward slash podcasts. If you've got a question or a comment about the show, you can give the station a call on 9419 8377 or send us an email at 3 at Um I'm talking to Tim, who's a member of Gamblers Anonymous, and we're talking about recovery from um, compulsive gambling. Um, so, Tim, I think we got up to the point where you'd just been separated, divorced, I think, for the first, from your first wife. So how did life go? You know, what's it like um, at that point if you're a gambler? Do you, are you triggered to go and gamble with being high and low? Is that... Uh, I, I, I did some major damage after um, my divorce because uh, I guess my ego and I was feeling sorry for myself and I got a payout from... I left the army back then to settle with my wife. So I got out of the army and um, I got back in, but I, I got back in six months later. But when I got out, I got a payment and I paid off my wife um, what I needed to with the settlement, but uh, I certainly had a little bit left over and a lot of that went to gambling and I did some pretty quick destructive damage uh, in a very, very, very short time. Right. Okay. Um, very, very much blurry these days because um, a lot of my gambling life is a bit blurry because <clears throat> you don't really remember exactly what you do with some of the money um, or, no. or what you bet on. Um, but, yeah, I, I definitely regret what I did with that money back then. Um, and, yeah, it, it didn't didn't sit well with me being divorced um, and I took a number of years to sort of get back on my feet. Um, and uh, two, 2009 I think I divorced my wife but um, yeah, it was probably two years I I had of solid gambling over that period right so okay from 2009 to about 2011 wow mm. <laughs> that's a lot of damage one of the other things people don't realise about gamblers is because there's so much going they've got to keep they've got to do their normal job They've got to gamble and they've got to arrange funds and they've got to pay back funds. So it must be a lot of stuff going around your head all the time trying to keep all that Yeah, we're good, jug- we're good jugglers. Yeah. Um, and I was 
very, like I said, I was very good at borrowing money. Uh, I guess because I had a very good um, record of paying it back. So, but I was also starting to now borrow off financial institutions as well. Um, and they sort of loved me because I had a good credit rating. So um, it was very easy to get money and very easy to gamble it. And um, I found myself getting into a little bit more debt and quickly had to find my way of getting out of it, which, um, yeah, which which was obviously getting back to the fellowship, which was great. Yeah. Okay, so what if we talk about sort of coming back in? I think you came back in the second time about 10 years after the first time. So what was different when you came to Gamblers Anonymous the second time? I think I'd realised deep down that I had a, an issue. Um, I had a compulsive gambling issue and that there was no... It wasn't a joking matter anymore because I'd obviously split up with my first wife. Um, I'd also done a bit of damage uh, financially, um, and I just know I just knew I needed it because um, I'd also heard great stories in the fellowship. Not maybe not great stories, but you know stories of truth of people that had lost a lot of money and houses and stuff like that. So I knew it was quite true of what could happen if you didn't get your addiction under control. Yep. Um, so how did that play out for you then? You were back in the army, so did you have periods of not gambling? I did. Um, when when uh, I do have a story, a little story about... 2005 when I was with my first wife and I was in the army that um, I was with GA and um, I had an allowance because obviously compulsive gamblers are prone to not, they shouldn't really control money. Um, So my ex-wife controlled the money and she gave me an allowance and unfortunately that allowance, I then started to go back to gambling and spend that allowance on gambling. And uh, when I was in the army, I decided to um, do the wrong thing and use uh, use a fuel card to fill my own car up, which uh, then in turn led to a court martial, which I think that was probably the last straw for my ex-wife at the time. Um, and I ended up in a lot of trouble within within the army. And um, you know, funny enough, when I got caught, I actually didn't get court as such I actually came forward and felt guilty right so um it was my conscience getting the better of me and uh, for that reason I wasn't actually thrown out of the army they gave me the benefit of the doubt because I actually came forward and was honest um and I may never have ever got caught but that's it didn't sit well with me that I was doing the wrong thing which the fellowship was starting to teach me that um the wrong thing's not the right thing to do Yes, that's right. If that makes sense. Yeah, it seems seems pretty clear to most people, but yeah, if you've got a problem, that's not the case. Um, so leaving a relationship often leaves you pretty down. So was that a difficult time for you? Yeah, it, it was. And like I said, I just mainly turned to gambling over that two years after I'd split up with my first wife. And then I was... I'm not one that likes to be on my own, so I, I hunted for a relation relationship. I hunted for a relationship trying to find the right woman and um, thought I'd found uh, a woman that uh, cared for me and all that sort of stuff 
And over those two years, I didn't gamble. She knew all about my um, past. Um, and I was with her for three years and um, married for two because we got married very quickly after one year. And, um, yeah, then one day um, she decided to say that she didn't want to be with me anymore. And uh, I guess my self-esteem took a, a massive hit and I didn't think I was good enough. And... Um, that that day that she told me that, that night I was at a Greyhound meeting um, spending a lot, a lot of money on a credit card. I took money out of the credit card because I was angry that she was breaking up my second marriage. And um, after that race meeting that I'd lost a lot of money at, I was driving down the highway and uh, I was thinking of just driving off the highway. I wasn't, wasn't in a good headspace at all. And I uh, ended up pulling over in tears and ended up ringing my son. And uh, he's a very good—he's a very good man. My son—he's 29, and uh, I went around to his house, and uh, he could see that I was uh, really, really upset and distraught. And um, I ended up at the Austin Hospital for uh, a number of hours, waiting for the psychiatric um, assessment. But I never, never got that until. Um, it was three o'clock in the morning. I said to my son, "Let's go." And uh, the next day, I then went and told my boss what had happened and uh, at work, and I was um, then admitted to um, a psychiatric hospital the next day, um, which I was in for the next three months, um, and and went through a lot of. I guess, good planning on how to actually recover from things and trigger trigger points and all that sort of stuff. So it was also based around different things, but it wasn't based around um, addiction, but it was based around mental illness. And um, I was then very quick to get back to the fellowship where I needed to be. And, um, yeah, I haven't really stepped out of the fellowship for a very, very long time, which is um, which is the most important thing. Right. Okay. Um, so again, you've lost, lost another relationship. So again, how does that, so with the, with the help you got, were you able then to continue on fairly evenly? Yeah, I think the, the actual hospitalization in the, into, into, um, the, uh, the ward helped me because they were able to help me with relationship based reasons why things happen and all that sort of stuff and um also at the time my my sister was actually diagnosed with um breast cancer and she was actually dying so um for me it was she would she would just say to me my my uh, sister when she was alive said to me oh tim it's just a it's just look at it as a relationship gone wrong don't look at it as a long-term marriage because it was only three years and um so i was able to move on and um uh and then the next relationship that I'm currently in now just came out of the blue. So, and that came out of nowhere, and it's it's happened for a reason. And she's a great woman, and um, yeah, I love her dearly, and she knows it, all my history. And I've had a couple of busts in our relationship, but um, I, I know why I've had a bust, and it's when I step away from the fellowship. If I step away from the fellowship, that's when I'm likely to gamble because if I think I can do it on my own, then I'm kidding myself. Yeah, which I guess brings us back to, you know, the, the recovery is about 
that you're powerless. So that, that understanding that you can no longer control when you start gambling, you can no longer con- control it. Yeah, yeah. That's, that, that's exactly right. Um, I used to wrestle with steps one, two, and three, um, which is really the crust of the actual uh, fellowship um, because – or recovery anyway. For, for one, two, and three, if you don't actually understand that you're powerless and you can't gamble again, well, then you're wrestling with a few things. But I've never really had much of a religious bone in my body, so I used to wrestle with steps two and three with the higher power. So I then turned around and said, okay, let's make the higher power the fellowship. And um, ever since I've done that and ever since I've got a sponsor – my recovery's really accelerated. I'm, um, I basically think I'm in recovery now. I'm not, in, I'm not just being absent from gambling. I'm, I'm actually doing the program. I've changed some character defects. Um, still working on a few character defects, as we all are. Um, but I'm a, a hell of a lot of better person than I ever was. Um, and I don't lie today. So that's yeah, that's a that, big, that big is help. huge. Yeah. Yeah, so one of the things is um, I understand with with gambling is that, that you think you're, you're sort of smarter, that you can do it, that that whatever it is, you can win it back. So it must be quite hard to surrender and go, I, I can't, when you've thought for so long that you could. Yeah, I think with myself, I'm not going to speak for others, but for me it was because I was so competitive at everything that gambling was a it was like a game and I would treat it like a game and I was good at it. Well, I believed I was good at it. But unfortunately, um, being good at it meant that I had to gamble on every single race and every single race meeting. So for me, uh, it was about understanding that um, the gambling for me, it, it, it's, it's about understanding that it's not about the money because if I won... I would just keep gambling. If I lost, I would chase. So it was a vicious circle. And it didn't matter what amount of money I won, and I won plenty. It just went back. It was just ammunition to keep going, and that's what the addiction is. It's um, I, can't, I can't ever gamble again because it's, um, for me, if I have that first bet, it's just back on that merry-go-round again. Yep. Okay. Um so <clears throat> you've you've got I think you also said um earlier when we were talking um about initially gamblers anonymous looked looked easy now I guess looking back on your I think it's what's 20 years in gamblers anonymous so how do you sort of see your transition from where you were initially to where you are now as far as your understanding of your compulsion? Well, I think that's actually quite – that's a really good question. But the, the the thing with me is that the, when I found a sponsor and I understood that I had to take this uh, addiction seriously instead of, you know, half-hearted, yep. that became the big difference. And <clears throat> the fact is that whilst I've been in the fellowship for 20 years, I haven't done any major, major financial damage. It's only when I've been – feeling sorry for myself or something's gone wrong in my life that I've decided to turn back to the addiction. And now I understand that things happen in life. Um, as, the, as, the, as the saying goes, shit happens. And um, 
when it happens. It's how you deal with it and how you um, don't just run back to your addiction and you, you find other ways to deal with things and talk to people or ring a fellow member. And uh, we've got plenty of um, cards at the meetings that you can just go and ring your members and talk to them if you've got problems and or ring a family member or ring a loved one. You know, there's, there's plenty of people to talk to. You just don't need to... I don't need to push myself back into the, the TAB or back into a, a a pub with a TAB or whatever. Yeah, I, I think the other thing is that you're more likely, because because you're open and honest, you're more likely to talk to somebody about it rather than hide it, and that means your relationships are stronger because of that. Yeah, I think, I think for me, GA has been so good for me in, in confidence-wise. I mean, I always... To people, I've always had a facade that I'm a very confident and and um, and up, you know, upstanding person and all that sort of stuff. But it was all an act. It was absolute act. But now GA has made me a confident person. I'm able to go for job interviews now and be very confident in my own ability. Um, I'm able to uh, be confident in my ability in a lot of things, and it's all because the fellowship teaches you to. Um, be honest. Um, well, it doesn't teach you to be honest, but it tells you to be honest. Yeah. Um, you've got to be honest yourself. And um, it, it helps you with so many things in life. And, and I've been lucky enough to do two two sets of steps in the fellowship. So I've gone done the 12 steps. And they are the, they are the most important things to me because that's where you start to change your character. Yeah, <laughs> agreed. Um so you consider the fellowships part of your life now? Oh, yeah, it'll be part of my life till the day I die, as as we say in the meetings, because um, my sponsor, who's um, you know sixty seven, he's been there for tw- he's been twenty years off the punt, which is fantastic. I've known him for those twenty years. I haven't been twenty years off the punt, but I certainly know that when you step out of that fellowship, it's danger, but when you're in that fellowship, you're safe. And when you do the work and the service in the fellowship, it helps you as well. Like I'm the RSO of um, Box Hill. I also do a bit of opening up at Box Hill. And, yeah, that that makes you want to be in the fellowship because um, you're serving other people and you're giving back to the fellowship that's saved my life. Because without GA, uh, I wouldn't be alive today. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, right. Okay. You're listening to Living Free on 3CR on digital radio and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. I'm talking to Tim and we're talking about Gamblers Anonymous and how to overcome compulsive gambling. Um, So, Tim, we're talking about um, being involved in Gamblers Anonymous and um, how how it helps. So I guess um, some of the things that people don't, really understand is the support that you give to newcomers to meetings because they're really the the most important people in the rooms in real terms so what what sort of things are available to newcomers going to a gamblers anonymous meeting yeah that's a really that's a really um important thing when new members walk in the room because we're all we're all new members at one stage and um when a new member walks in he's greeted by what we call a greeter and the greeter gives him a starters pack and lets him know how the meeting will go and how it how it runs. And 
look, we've in my time I've seen a lot of people come through the doors for their first meeting and and um, not come back to their second one, but um, you know they'll come back when they're ready. When they've hit their rock bottom, they'll come back. Um, but the GO Fellowship love it when a new member walks into the room because um, it then gives gives them the the feeling of uh, they have to tell their story, which is a which is a good thing for your recovery. Um, and some you know some members have heard your story several times, but a new member has never heard your story. So it's very important for a new member to be comfortable in the place that they're in, and they understand that they're not they're not the only one that's got a compulsive addiction. That they're surrounded by people in that room that's uh, all got the same compulsion. Yeah, yeah, it, it must be it must be a good feeling um, for people coming in realizing that they're not alone. They're not unique. Yeah. yeah, and they don't feel like a lot of them come in shy, a lot of them come in um, not so shy, but the, 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 the not so shy ones after a, a, a period of time then come out of their shell and understand that they're part of the group and that the group is working for them and basically then they can work for new members. It just It's, it's sort of a spiral uh, thing that goes on throughout the fellowship from my sponsor who's 20 years to myself to another member that might walk in the door they they're all affected by people that are in that room yeah um so i guess the other thing too is that like um alcoholics and drug addicts um gamblers aren't single addictions necessarily so did was gambling your only addiction yes thank god apart from biting my nails um <laughs> gambling was my only uh, well actually I'd have to say when I was gambling that um, probably probably women were as my second addiction. Like I was not very um, not very what's the word? Um, uh, there's a word I'm trying to think of it. I wasn't very faithful in my first marriage. Yeah. Um, I was faithful in my second marriage, and I've been faithful in in this relationship. But with gambling came risk taking. And with with my marriage became risk taking too. My first marriage. Yeah. Okay. Um, I guess the other thing is that clearly your gambling has affected your family. So, what's the effect been like on your children? Um, my children don't really talk about it a lot, but I'm pretty sure my son, who's 29 and he's quite religious, um, I think he. In some ways, holds a bit of a grudge there, but he won't let me know about that grudge um, because we're constantly, when we're talking about things, we're constantly arguing. Um, my, on the other hand, my daughter and I have a lovely relationship, and um, she's just had a baby, so I'm a grandfather to her. So that's wow. to yeah. her child. So yeah. that, that's pretty exciting. Um, but I don't know how many times I've said sorry to both of them, and. And my daughter just keeps saying, Dad, I forgive you, I forgive you. But, um, yeah, my son's always asking about Gambles Anonymous and how I'm going and all that sort of stuff. And he's often come along to meetings. So, okay. So yeah. he's a great support. And, um, yeah, I think there's an effect there, but um, I probably don't see it. And there's certainly an effect on my ex-wife, as I know. Mm, yeah, I understand. Also, um, there's a group called Gamblers and uh, Gammonon, which is for families. There aren't any meetings in Victoria, but 
there are in New South and yeah, Queensland. Yeah, that's that's really interesting because I know the lady that started uh, Gammonon at Box Hill, and she's a beautiful lady. And um, funny enough, there was the days when I first came to Box Hill, there was just as many people in Gammonon. There was twenty to thirty people in Gammonon, and and twenty to thirty people in in uh, in GA. But these days, the partners and that are struggling to actually get to Gavanaugh meetings. Um, having said that, at a GA meeting, most GA meetings don't care if a partner walks in and wants to be an observer. Um, they always ask if anyone has any objections because obviously it's anonymous, but yep. in my time I've never had seen anyone um, with no objections against partners or anything like that, and I, I just think that it's really important for a partner to understand how much... Um, their partner's not the only one that's a compulsive gambler, if you know what I mean. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that it's yeah. There are there are a lot of others out there. Yeah. Oh, there's thousands out there, millions. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um. So, I guess um, with your second family, um, or your your current family, I mean, um, with your third, I think it's your third wife. Third, so your third time lucky. Third time lucky. <laughs> um, the children from that relationship. Uh, have they experienced you gambling or not? No, thank God, and uh, I don't want them ever to. Um, it's interesting when I go to functions and stuff on uh, the first Tuesday in November with family and all that sort of stuff, and everyone gets a, a horse in the sweep and I don't get one, the kids often go, why don't you want one? And I just say, basically, without giving too much away, I just say, well, I saw the destruction that gambling did to my father, so... I don't. I don't want anything to do with horse racing, and that's not far from the truth. Yeah. Um, but I don't need the kids. My partner doesn't want my kids, her kids, to know that I was a compulsive gambler. Yeah. So we just keep that between myself and my partner. And um, at the end of the day, as long as I do the right thing, I won't gamble. Yeah. Okay. Um, so what's what's life like now compared to what it was like as a gambler? as far as the way you live and your lifestyle? Yeah, um, a massive difference. So I think I've been to Bali twice with my partner. Uh, I also went on a cruise with my second wife, which, um, yeah, I've been away more times in the last three or four years than I've been away for my whole life, and that's all because I'm not gambling and I've got money in the bank and... Uh, life is not a struggle. I own my car. I don't have any debt. Um, I don't have. I obviously, don't have any credit cards because that would, <laughs> that would be a tempting fate. Um, all my all my payments basically go to pay the house. Um, so yeah, I'm in a really good headspace at the moment, and the life between life between when I was gambling to now is is twofold. It's just completely different. It's like um, a lot of my gambling days are, and I say this honestly, that a lot of my gambling days are hazy. It's all a haze. And today I'm actually clear thinking. I'm back working with kids with um, coaching footy and loving it. And, um, yeah, there's a lot of enjoyment in life at the moment. Um there's a few things that are getting me down with work and stuff like that, but that'll turn around. Yeah. 
Um, so what about one of the major things in recovery is making amends. So were you able to make amends to people for the harm and particularly the financial harm? Yeah, I, I, I didn't make financial amends, I guess, to my first wife uh, other than basically I was very honest when we came to separation and I just went 60-40 with everything. Um, 60 her way, 40 mine. And uh, that hurt me in the hip pocket. Um, but yeah, I just thought that's the best thing I can do. That's the nicest thing I can do. Um, and it wasn't, to me, it wasn't about money. It was more to set her up because of I'd probably held her up in her in her progression because of my gambling. Um, so, yeah, it was a completely... Um, yeah, it was just completely financial. Um, it was completely important that I looked after the person I'd hurt. And as for making amends to everyone else, everyone that I could find, I made amends to and I paid back. But there were some people I couldn't find. So I couldn't make amends to them. I did in my head, but I, I've i still got people that I need to find yeah. um, if I can. Right. Okay. Um, so what about your mother? Were you able to make amends to your mum? Uh, it was an interesting relationship we had, my mum and I. Um, she was very hard on me and I think I took a fair bit of that into the way I tr- treated my kids. Um, but I think I made amends to her when she was um, on her deathbed and apologised and uh, probably told her a few truths and stuff that went on when she was alive, which she probably didn't need to hear, but I felt it was better for myself to get it off my chest. I mean, mum was dying of cancer, so to me it wasn't going to make a, a great deal of difference um, to her because she was dying, but uh, to me it was to get it off my chest and get her to understand that you know it wasn't just dad, it was me as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think that might have. I think that probably would have pleased her to hear, you know, to understand that situation. Yeah, yeah it was interesting because Mum, at the same time having cancer, had a bit of Alzheimer's as well. So whether yeah. she remembered it, um, mm. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so what else are you doing in Gamblers Anonymous as far as service goes? What sort of things do you get involved in? Well, I'm currently the RSO at Box Hill, which is a which is a great meeting. Um, I also often open up because I have the key, so I do a bit of secretary work as well. But I get involved now once I've had my sponsor and once I got my sponsor and he told me to do, he told me to make sure I do a um, a conference. Um, I did a conference and that's made a big difference in my life and I'm... Okay. Well, I think that probably brings us to a close. If you'd like to find out more about Gamblers Anonymous and how they could help you uh, or somebody you know, uh, then you can phone them on 03 9696 6108 or you can go online at org.au. That's about all we've got time for today. So I'd like to thank Tim for coming in and sharing his Gamblers Anonymous recovery experience with us. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Bill. Um, I hope you'll be able to join us again next week when we'll be talking about recovery from compulsive drinking and we'll be joined by a couple of members of Alcoholics Anonymous. Stay tuned now for Black Noise Radio, hosted by Kerry Lee and featuring black news and views, current affairs, music, sport, culture and the arts, all from an Aboriginal woman's perspective. 
Thanks for listening to Living Free program today. Yeah.